Well, there is always going to be a need for real estate. I mean, it is a basic on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Shelter is after, you know, your personal needs. So it, in fact, it's actually integral to your personal needs. So shelter is always going to be a need. And so there's always going to be a real estate market. It's just whether you are going to be a participant in that real estate market. In a time plagued by groupthink, a tribe known as the Millionites have emerged from the depths of time to alter our trajectory for the betterment of humanity. These are their chronicles. Welcome to our community, where every single week we'll study the craft of some of the most successful entrepreneurial leaders in their given area of expertise. We'll take a trip down memory lane, long before the millions, to uncover their secrets to success and how they've achieved their goals. By doing this, we can fast track our way to success and live the life we've always dreamt of. So, whether you are looking to attain financial freedom, location independence, or reaching the millionth mark of your milestones and more, then you've come to the right place. Stick around to find out what works, what doesn't, and how you can reach your millions. If you would like instant access to our back catalog, visit us at beforethemillions.com. And now, your host, DeRay Olaleye. What's good, BTM community? I'm your humble host, DeRay Olaleye, and we're back. Guess who's back, 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 back again. But we're back for another episode of the Before the Millions podcast. This is episode 18. And on this episode, guys, we are interviewing Karen Briscoe. Now, typically, we interview highly successful entrepreneurs and millionaires, and we study their path to millions, and we learn about what inspired them and how they were able to persevere through rough times and get to the millions. Well, today's guest... We'll just call her the billion dollar real estate agent. Karen has done $1.5 billion in real estate transactions and she walks us through her path and how she did it. So guys, this is a fun filled episode. I can't wait to get into it. If you want to learn how to get paid to live for free, you will be able to pick up my book called Get Paid to Live for Free. So visit beforethemillions.com slash book. Secondly, I'm in Houston, Texas right now, and dealing with this whole Harvey situation, it's not cool. Our whole downtown is literally flooded. Like we're underwater, SpongeBob-type underwater. By where I live, I live in Richmond, but right by where I live in Rosenberg, there's a really, really big sinkhole in the ground, and that's not pretty either. Alligators everywhere, fishes everywhere. We're, we're, we're literally a <laughs> plain little mermaid. So I'll be I'll be here for the next couple of days trying to help out in uh, any way I can and assist those in need because um there are a lot there are a lot of tragedies that have happened over the last couple of days and um not to get all sentimental with you guys so I'll keep it light but yeah definitely just uh pray for Houston right now guys. Lastly, my mom cooked some really really good food guys. I haven't seen my mom in about two and a half months. I talk to my mom every day almost, but I haven't seen her in a while so. Glad to kind of be home and um, eating some good African food, if you guys care to know. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do when I'm in my city is to just hang out with my little sister and watch movies in the theater room and just kind of kind of chill out and, and, and catch up. But I haven't been able to do that as of late. This is a this is more of a business trip, although I'm stranded at the house because of a uh, Sky Harvey. But. Yeah, a lot of business going on right now, guys, um, over at uh, Urbane Wealth, which is my uh, real estate company. And if you are an accredited investor and you're looking to get involved in real estate, definitely uh, shoot me an email at Duray at Urbane Wealth. That's D-A-R-A-Y at U-R-B-A-N-E-W-E-A-L-T-H dot com. And we could have a conversation surrounding your real estate goals. My laundry list is done. <laughs> Let's get into it. We recommend only the best books on this show. With that being said, we can understand the urge to read the last book you've heard an entrepreneur get excited about. Well, guess what? You can go read it right now. We've partnered with Audible, an Amazon company that produces high-quality audiobooks. 
Together, we are offering, and for free, a 30-day trial and one free book as soon as you sign up. So, if you've been eyeing a certain book but haven't quite been able to pull the trigger yet, we'd love to cover the cost for you. Just visit audibletrial.com slash before the millions to start reading or listening to your next free book. The link is also in the show notes of this episode at beforethemillions.com. Today, I'd like to welcome Karen Briscoe to the show. Hey, thanks for having me today. No problem. It's a pleasure. We're, we're excited to have you on the show. Karen is the principal owner of Huckabee Briscoe Conway Group, HBC, within Keller Williams. HBC Group has been recognized by the Wall Street Journal as one of the 250 top realtor teams in the United States. Since 1977, HBC Group has sold over 1,500 homes valued at $1.5 billion, with a B, billion dollars. Karen is also the author of Real Estate Success in Five Minutes a Day, The Secrets of a Top Agent Revealed, and I can't wait to get into that. It currently ranks in the top 1% of real estate books on Amazon, which is, which is amazing. And I think, Karen, you're, you're currently based out of Washington, D.C., and you're a wife and mother of two. And maybe maybe kind of fill in a little bit of the gaps and then before and then once you do that, we'll maybe take it back into the time machine and learn a little bit more about Karen growing up. Well, you covered the key areas. I am predominantly a real estate agent, run a team in McLean, Virginia, and we do service the Washington, D.C. metro area, mostly northern Virginia, which is just across the Potomac River from D.C. And I, my book was launched August 1st, 2016, so it just celebrated its first birthday, and we're very excited about all the places that I've been able to go in terms of the the book and the people that I've been able to meet and the also the opportunities that it's afforded me it's been fantastic let's take it back let's hop in the time machine let's, let's get to know you a little bit better who is Karen and how did your journey first begin well so my father was a entrepreneur in that's really the the beginnings of my entrepreneur journey I'm truly my father's daughter and Coupled with that, I am the middle child. I have an older sister and a younger brother. And, you know, the middle child is known as the one able to negotiate both sides. I can see the, both perspectives and I, I have been a top negotiator my whole life. And so combining those two led me to commercial real estate out of college. And I was a actually a land developer with Trammell Crow in Dallas, Texas. And we would buy land and put in streets, utilities, and sell lots to home builders. And that really was a fantastic experience. It was in the 80s. And in, in the 1980s, the savings and loans were predominant in the Texas marketplace. And I don't know if you've heard of the savings and loan crisis, but then went through the savings and loan crisis and that caused a major market shift. And at the time I was married and had my two children and they were young and my husband's career took us to DC. So I mostly stayed home and raised our children until they were a little bit older and I wanted to reenter the workforce. And that's when I came upon residential real estate. Why why residential real estate? Well, I actually went back into commercial for a short stint uh, with the Stahlbuck company, and I managed uh, sales engineering and warehouse offices, and I personally just found that to be it just seemed like every deal was the same. It really was very little variety. Once you've seen one sales engineering and warehouse office, you've seen all of them. And I had a, a friend or someone I knew at church and she suggested residential real estate. And I really, coming out of the commercial background, I was like, well, I'm really more of a business type person. I'm not so sure, but I really do have a heart for people. I actually had, had thought about going into the ministry at one point and I was like, I really do love being with people. And that was the component I was missing in the commercial aspect. And so it really has turned out to be a great career for me because it affords both sides of the personal relationships that are developed and the helping people through what is, in most cases, their most significant transaction. And often also a can be a stressful time. I mean, people buy and sell homes, usually because they're going through some sort of life event. There's 
the positive ones of marriage and relationships and having children. And then there's the other side of that. We call it the D's, the death, divorce, debt. We saw a lot of the debt when people, when we had the market correction in the shifting market. And then you have the, in almost all cases, there's several things going on at the same time. So being a part of that transaction and yet also having that business side, what they sometimes refer to as the hard side and the soft side of the business, the the part where coming from a such a commercial background and the ability to analyze deals as you have that expertise as well, the ability to to analyze deals coming from that perspective has afforded me an opportunity to work on a very high level with, in our market area, we have a very savvy clientele. And so it's, it's giving me, a, again, the best of both worlds. Definitely, definitely. Okay, Karen. So let's kind of kind of fill in some gaps uh, in your story. We kind of jumped back in the, in, in the timeline. And, you know, you said your dad was entrepreneurial and, you know, you were the middle child. So you kind of were taught or you you kind of cultivated and learned your negotiating skills very, very early. So you're, you're a young negotiator slash entrepreneur and you're ready to kind of take on the world. And you go into the commercial space and, you, and you're there for a while and you, you later on decide to, to stay at home and, and, and take care of the kids. Kids and and once the kids kind of got older, you you kind of had this outlook and you know maybe it was an epiphany moment or you know you kind of had this urge you know talk about that urge and that drive and maybe that why why did you decide to go back into the work? I was definitely an internal drive. I am a I don't know how familiar you are with the DISC pro, um, assessment of yep. the <laughs> yes okay so I am a D. A high D. So I'm a very internally driven person. And I found it very rewarding to raise my children and to support my husband and his career and to be available in the community. And I did a lot of volunteer efforts and, you know, had organizations and charities. But I really, in my heart, I am a, a deal maker. And I miss that aspect of what business provides that is unique to different than volunteer work and and relationships and on a personal level and so it was it was an internal drive to get back into the workforce and obviously I achieved pretty high level success pretty quickly I even on a part-time basis was you know considered you know uh, I don't want to call a rookie of the year, but I was definitely one of the highest performing, even though I was I was working part time. So that was recognized in our market area pretty quickly. I was asked to join a high producing team. And then a couple of years later, Sue Huckabee, the person whose name is in the beginning of the group, Huckabee, she was number 10 at the time, asked me to join her as a partner. And I believe that came out of the fact that she saw that drive that internal locus of control, if you will, to make things happen and, and committed to, to the success of the business. And that has then when you talk about pivotal moments, I would say becoming Sue Huckabee's partner was one of the most pivotal aspects of my career because it, the trajectory was pretty sharp rise in, in the market area, starting to work with her. Well, let's Karen. Let, let's talk about that. Let's talk about you know you entering the workforce and you you choosing your residential and you becoming the rookie of the year, Karen. Let's let's kind of figure out how you were able to to join that high performing team and how for new and up and coming agents out there who are looking to maybe get into the game or who who've done done a couple deals and they're they're looking to to achieve similar success to you. You know how did you how did you frame yourself or how did you you know put yourself in a position to have those opportunities be presented to you? Well, it really boils down to being a lead generator or being what you know many people call a rainmaker. The person who brings the business to the table is always going to be valuable. I recognize very early, like, like the first month, that people weren't going to call me to ask me to help them buy or sell homes. I was going to have to go out and that we kind of joke could call it not being a secret agent, but I was going to have to be proactive about it. And I, I started 15 years ago this month in August. And so when people, new agents come to me and I say, you know, you really can start at any time. The, I think that many times agents are like, 
or people new in the business think, oh, I have to have a website. Well, we didn't have websites in 2002. And I really only had homemade business cards, you know, that somebody printed off at a Staples or something. It was nothing, you know, no design or any of that. And so it's like, I think that people hold back because they feel like certain things have to happen before they can start. And I'm like, no, you, you can just start. You can call people and tell them that you're a real estate agent and you're there to help them with their buying and, and selling needs. And I was very proactive. I still to this day lead generate. I committed to talk to 25 people a week and I created a, a log and a notebook and I still have that notebook today when I go and train agents I'll bring out my notebook and I'll say you know I can even track back at least 10 million dollars for the business out of that first 25 people I called really the having the lead is what starts it all and you obtain the lead by lead generation by prospecting going out and, and feed on the street Love it, love it, love it. Well, if there's any takeaway from that is that you don't need everything to get started. You just need to get started and perhaps you'll get everything along the way. So, you know, maybe you should start going to Staples and getting handmade business cards and just getting started because that's what Karen did. So Karen, let's talk a little bit more about your lead generation tactics and, and, and kind of, you know, how you're, how you're methodically generating leads. You say that you contact 25 people a day. How does this look? What's the structure? Who are you contacting? And, and what are the types of conversations that you're having? Well, you'll have the most influence on the people that you know and that know you or recognize your name. I have heard of, you know, many trainers will say, you know, get on the phone and start calling expireds or withdrawns or, you know, the phone book, even though you, you do have to be careful about do not call. The statistics for calling cold like that are you'll call 100 people. 10 may have a conversation with you, three might meet with you, and you will sell one. So that's 100 to 1. Wow, those are not really very strong odds. You can improve those odds considerably because if if you call 10 people you know, then they'll all talk to you. And then in most cases, three will either refer you or introduce you to business or will do something with you, maybe not immediately, but at some point, and then one will go to settlement. So you can 10 times your odds by talking to people that you know. And many times agents are, that are new are concerned. Oh, well, they're going to know I'm new. I'm like, well, you know more than they probably do because you've just passed your real estate license. And if you have a decent broker behind you or work on a team or something, they're, they're not going to let you fail. So the, you're, you're, you need to get out of your own way and, and get the lead. And then once you have the lead, people will help you get through the transaction part of it. But you have to go out and get the lead first. Yep. Yep. That definitely makes sense. And, you know, kind of alluding to your fact, you know, warm traffic is a lot better than cold traffic, especially when first starting out. So definitely pay attention to warm traffic. That's family and friends rather than, you know, cold calling um, in the very beginning, at least. So, so Karen, let's, let's maybe, let's maybe talk about your, your, your moment or, or, you know, you, you talk about, you know, you being a high performer and then you join in this high performing team. Let's talk about that inception and maybe that exact moment that this happened and, and kind of give us some detail behind that. Well, I, I believe that the reason why I was asked to join Sue as a partner is because I, many of the people were doing what I call lead receiving. You know, they were really great if you would give them a lead, but to actually go out and generate their own leads, they were, they were sitting back and waiting for things to happen. And I was being proactive and forward, like a forward horse moving forward at all times. And that is what the the two, the person I became a business partner with and took over a business recognized was because the thing that I found is, is there has to be a constant new flow of business coming in. The particularly in our in, in the residential real estate profession, if you achieve at a high level, in most cases, you're working predominantly with sellers. Uh, they have we have the saying list to last. So you want to list houses to last because listings provide so much more opportunity than buyers. You have the signage, you can advertise your listing, you can hold your listing open, it'll make the 
phone ring because buyers often will go directly to the listing agent. You have so much opportunity as a listing agent. And but the the challenge to being a listing agent is many times most of your clients are moving away. Now, there is a percentage that moves inside of a market area and well you can oftentimes do both sides of that transaction and listings often if you become known as a neighborhood expert you get more listings off of a listing so it it has lots of advantages i'm i'm not discounting that but many of my clients move away i mean most of my clients move away so i have to constantly be filling the pipeline i mean it is it is not a one and done business it is a constant lead generation business and if you think about it though really almost every industry is. I mean, somebody was explaining or sharing with me today is, you know, well, when was the last time you knew somebody had a BlackBerry? Well, they were very successful for a while, but they didn't stay relevant in the marketplace, did they? (laughs) Not at all. And who did stay relevant? Apple. Apple. (laughs) Right, Apple. And so do we even think about using a BlackBerry? So just because you were successful at one point, there really is no one and done. I mean, it is a constant reinvention, which is exciting. I mean, it's an incredible opportunity because you're constantly moving into new you know, opportunities, there's, there's technology is constantly changing. We have disruptors in the marketplace and in every industry there is, that is not just in real estate and obviously in technology, it's moving extremely fast. And so I am, I find that to be invigorating because it, it does not get stale and old, but it also means that even if you have achieved at a high level success, and maybe even more so if you've achieved at a higher level of success, you have to continue because they, otherwise you're going backwards. If you're not moving forward, you're going backwards. So just because I've achieved at a high level doesn't mean that, you know, I'm sitting back on my laurels. I'm looking for the next, I always say it's like Wayne Gretzky. I mean, he always skated to where the puck is going. Well, I'm looking, right. where's the puck going? Where's the market going? Where are the trends going? What is in the future? Because it would be like sitting around thinking you're Blackberry and you're going to stay successful. It, it just, that is I believe the beginning of the end. <laughs> I mean, I, we could use many examples. I mean, IBM computers, for example. I mean, they they thought they had a corner on the market. Um, so the uh, the American automobile industry. I mean, there there's lots of examples of industries or or corporations that didn't stay ahead of the market, and and so it's the same. And I find that it that the agents that are or the people that achieve success at a high level over and over again, the true professionals, as opposed to the one hit wonders, the one that, you know, pull it off maybe once or twice, they're constantly reinventing themselves or constantly re- revitalizing their business. Definitely. Definitely. So, so listeners, where is the puck going? So mm-hmm. Karen, let's talk about that. You know, for, for this, we're in 2017 and, you know, we're about, 10 years after after the last correction and you know we have no idea we have no idea where the puck is going we have no idea what's about to happen what's going on you know let's say i'm very very green and i know i know nothing about about real estate but i do know that i want to start actively investing in real estate so i'm looking to be a, a active real estate investor and i'm looking for a way in what are your thoughts on on becoming an agent as your way into real estate investing Well, there is always going to be a need for real estate. I mean, it is a basic on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Shelter is after, you know, your personal needs. So in fact, it's actually integral to your personal needs. So shelter is always going to be a need. And so there's always going to be a real estate market. It's just whether you are going to be a participant in that real estate market. And so I would say that one of the most important things is to know the inventory, I call it feet on the street. It would be just like, you know, being a shoe salesman or a software salesperson or our son worked at the hardware store when he was in middle school and high school. You have to know the inventory. The more you know the inventory, you will truly understand where the trends are going. Supply and demand are like gravity. It's so strong. The forces of supply and demand are where the market is going. So watching the market 
is it a buyer's market? Is it a seller's market? Or is it a balanced market? And what is it quarter over quarter is what I track. I track quarter over quarter and I track it based on different price segments for I do our predominant zip codes. But really, I can study and you're an analyst, so I'm sure you do something similar, but I can study any market and get a pretty good handle on where the trends are going. And there are always opportunities. There are always opportunities. I mean, in every market, there is an opportunity. So it's finding that opportunity is where the true people that are successful at it and buying right is a key aspect to being a successful investor over the long run. Definitely, definitely. So so as a newbie, you know, investor or slash as a newbie agent, how do you find the right opportunity? How do you know this is the right time to jump in or, or do you wait? You know, what what is your advice to somebody looking to be an agent or looking to start investing, you know, by being an agent first? What you know, how do you how do you go about doing that at, at such a volatile time? There there's a proverb, I think it's a Japanese proverb that said, When was the best time to plant a tree? It was twenty years ago and the Next best time is now. So, <laughs> I mean, no matter when you get in, you're getting in, right? I mean, I was talking to an investor the other day, and he goes, yeah, 20 years ago when I bought an apartment building, they all said I was crazy and I was overpaying. So the way to to enter the real estate business as an agent, if this is a profession that you have a passion for, if this is a passing fad, it's going to be a passing fad no matter when you enter it. But if you enter the business and you want to achieve the status of a professional by doing the work, and that is by doing the work is making the contacts, lead generating, and knowing the market and knowing knowing the, the key ass fundamentals of the business of the contract and negotiating strategy and that type of thing. If you commit to it, I have seen agents enter at all market cycles and be successful. My business partner, Lizzie Conroy, became a real estate agent in 2009. Well, I mean, we're talking crash. I mean, that's like the worst time to enter. But she became so savvy, very savvy. Uh, there's a lot of things you can learn in a down market. The The danger or oftentimes the challenge of being in an up market is you, you think that, oh, wow, you think that, you know, you're confusing brains with a bull market. Well, <laughs> It may not be your brains. It may be a bull market. You may have just got lucky. So, you know, everybody's a a smart investor when the when the market's going up, right? (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. When I remember when the market was going up, people would call me like every other month ago. I just refinanced again, and I'm like, oh my gosh. At some point, you got to quit doing that because it's going to catch up with you. So the that's the danger of the of the up market. The up market is you know, the irrational exuberance where you're, where people are not paying attention to the signs. I do think this market is different. And I agree with you. I, there, there were 10 years, you know, I, I lived through the whole thing and I lived through the savings and loan crisis in the eighties. So I already had lived through one. And when I saw the signs, when the market was overheating and contrary to what Greenspan said it wasn't a rational exuberance. It truly was because what was happening was in our area, at least, and I think this was pretty common around the United States, is that we were experiencing double-digit appreciation year over year over year. Well, there are very, very few markets that can sustain that because uh, the affordability wasn't in line, uh, rents weren't in line. Then we started to have an oversupply. So as supply started to continue to increase uh, relative to demand, then we had a buildup. The financial markets obviously had a huge impact, which is not the case. I mean, this time we have much more solid financial markets. We have much more stable financing guidelines (laughs) with the Dodd-Frank legislation. So that isn't what is impacting this market. We have supply and a lot of segments are are down and definitely not building what's we're seeing the biggest impact on supply relative to demand is the upper brackets so those price points are are flat or are correcting but anything in the affordable price points of the conforming loan amounts or there's just not enough supply so and we and then we have another huge factor that's coming down the pike that's 
going to impact real estate, and that is this demographic shift of the baby boomers, which is the largest demographic so far, generational-wise, are in the stage of life where they should be (laughs) downsizing, right-sizing, retiring, and because people are living so much longer, they're they're stair-stepping that, they're transitioning differently, or they're staying put longer, and that's having an impact. While at the same time, the next generation down, the Generation Xers, they're about 10 million less in population. They're about 70 million. The baby boomers are 80 million. So we don't have the people to replace the baby boomer population, you know, match to match. We just don't. We have this gap. But then (laughs) the millennials are going to be a huge force for the future of real estate because there's 90 million projected of millennials and they're predominantly the first time home buyers and there's just not enough of that home options for them. So we could have a both sides kind of market. We could have a best of the one market and a worst of the other. So like it may be a great time to be a a seller in the under 500,000, if you will, and a terrible time to be a buyer. And it could be a great time to be a buyer in the over a million and a not the best market for a seller. It could be a tale of two markets. That definitely, definitely makes sense, Karen. So Karen, let's transition a little bit. You know, tell me about your worst entrepreneurial moment to date. Tell us that story. Take us to that day. Well, the market crash in September of 08, I had just taken over the business from Sue Huckabee and she had passed away. So there wasn't any backup option. <laughs> so I was becoming a full-on business owner with with employees and quite a bit of overhead in a market that was just changing rapidly. And so I I remember I she had relied heavily, heavily on advertising. And so there was a really large market um, budget, marketing budget. And so I I contacted one of the magazines and I I said so what's my contractual obligation and they said well you're really effectively your contracts through next year but you're kind of on a month to month and so if you you know wanted to change your terms see we could do that and I was like okay I'll get back with you and that was that one magazine alone was 5000 a month and at 5000 a month I mean I was really a huge impact on the cash flow and I I called him back and I said okay I, I want to stop so those decisions of what to, you know, get the expenses in line, you know, the, the whole red light, green light philosophy of money and cash flow was making those decisions. Now, there was I, I pretty much started pulling back on everything. But I realized there was a point, though, where if you pull back on too much, then then people think you're going out of business. Right. <laughs> so for a while there, I, I had cut back on practically everything. And then. I didn't have anything coming in and I'm like, oh, this is not a good sign. So to turn it around, I had to do what I call double time. I mean, I really doubled up my own personal efforts of lead generation as opposed to relying on marketing and then did a smoother or more strategic going forward, tried out different types of marketing to see how effective it was before committing on a longer term basis and have come to a place where we feel pretty comfortable about the efforts that we use, that the monies we spend are productive. But it's a constant cash flow is is king. It's absolutely king. And there there was that point in time where I, I wasn't sure we were going to make it through because the expenses were, were greater than the I remember there was this one conversation I had with my broker at the elevator. I was like, I think I want to go into management. <laughs> I have my broker's license. Maybe I could broker some of my broker's services. And, but, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I realized that back to those, you, you started me out, you know, when, my childhood. I mean, I was like, no, I'm really an entrepreneur. I'm really not a manager. And I am smart. I'm resilient. I'm a survivor. I will thrive through this. And I'm going to figure it out. And so, it was making that decision, but there, there really was a, a an epiphany moment where I was like, maybe I should find something, another career, and and I instead decided to 
get the expenses in line, and then be very strategic about any expenses going forward. Love it. Love it. Love it. And Karen, I think those are the moments that define us literally. Like, you know, you had a decision to make and, you know, whether or not you wanted to go back into management and possibly, you know, sell off your skills <laughs> or, be, or, or or continue down your entrepreneurial journey, which, you know, as a great entrepreneur, which, you know, has many peaks and valleys. So I'm glad you stuck it through and you were able to see your company through the recession. Now, let's Let's transition a little bit. Let's fast forward a little bit to the inception and maybe not even the inception yet. Let's transition to the to the building up of your book, because I think that or I believe that, you know, there was a there was a, a long time gap between you actually putting forth the effort to, to make your book and when you decided to do a book, which was probably a, a few months or a few years before you actually put forth the effort. So let's talk about the maybe the inception of the thought of, of maybe having a book and creating the book and, and, and why you wanted to do that. Well, as often happens when people achieve a high level of success, then frequently people will come and say, well, how did you do it? And this happened. I would do trainings for offices and sales teams, and I was doing some coaching. And the same questions kept coming up over and over again. And I was like, well, really, success you know, leaves clues. And so there are principles of success. And, and one of the principles is to invest and commit to ongoing personal and business development. And component of that is reading. In fact, I think you brought that up in, in your book on um, Get Paid to Live for Free, that, re- that leaders are readers. So I was leading a, a book club in our office for quite some time, and I I seemed to be the only person that actually read the book. I mean, the agents had intentions of reading the book, and they many times bought the book, but they never actually read the book. And what they said was they didn't have time. And so I was like, well, do you have five minutes a day? And, and everybody said, well, of course they had five minutes a day. And I was like, so you would invest five minutes a day to achieve success at a higher level. And everybody said they could. And so that was the the brainchild of the five minute success. The idea that the stories are what I call sticky. So they're memorable. So if 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 you have information and and you don't remember it when you need it, it's not very beneficial. So right, I mean, so what's the benefit of having the information if you don't if you don't can't recall it when you need it? And so the idea of combining information and inspiration, it's like uh, combining um, a dummy's book with a, like a chicken soup for the soul book, or say for example, peanut butter and chocolate. So you put them together, and then you get transformational. And so I had had the idea and it's like you said, and many people do say they're going to write a book. I had been talking about it for well over a year and I was with a coaching group, which really I had made a lot of great progress in my business and the things I wanted to accomplish in my life. But the, the book just kept hanging out there. And so we were on a weekend retreat called a deep dive. So we were supposed to focus on one concept. And so I put up the book. So all weekend, we were coming up with the ways to move forward our what we wanted to achieve. And on Friday, on Sunday, we were to talk about the things that were stopping us from achieving our goals. And I went through the, the list of things that were stopping me. And ultimately, I came to the conclusion that the only thing that was stopping me was me. I mean, really, I mean, the excuses of not enough time, not enough money, not enough this, not enough that was just all excuses, right? At the end of the day, you know, if you really want to do something, you want to start a podcast, right? I mean, really, what's stopping you from starting a podcast or what's stopping you from writing a book or what's stopping most people? It really isn't the outside that's stopping them. Yeah, it's it's the inside, right? It was an inside job. So I that was a huge epiphany when I realized that it was me that I had control. I could decide to do it. So I decided to do it. Well, then the next barrier, if you will, was I didn't feel like I had time. And that was when I was introduced to Miracle Morning and Hal Elrod. Are you, so are you familiar with Miracle Morning and Hal Elrod? I am. Right. I am I'm an avid Miracle Morninger. <laughs> so, ah, <laughs> you're an M member. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Well, so Hal, as you know, has endorsed my book as part of the, the Morning Savers program. The ritual of, of R is, is for reading and in the savers. And, and I like, well, I could get up an hour early and I'd have an hour that I didn't have. And I'm not a morning person. I, if you read Miracle Morning, a lot of people say they're not morning people, but I, I believed that I was supposed to write that book. That was the, the, the third epiphany was that I believed that there was a, a time and a place that this book had, um, and, and that some, that it was going to get written by someone. There's this concept called big magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. She wrote the, she also wrote E Pray Love and Big Magic. And she talks about in Big Magic that the universe, there's all these ideas of the universe and that they'll come to people. And people who will embrace the idea and put it forth and make it happen. And then there are people who dismiss the idea for whatever reason, not enough time, not enough money, whatever. Um, it'll move on and it'll find somebody because if, if the idea's time has come, it will come. And that was my third epiphany was, well, I not only have to write this book, I have to write it now because there's an urgency that this book is. And I do believe that's true. Google has done a study that they're saying that attention spans of people now are at about five minutes. And so uh, the, the idea that you can achieve high level success by focusing on one thing for five minutes and then finding a way to put it into action has very powerful results. I have many, many success stories from people all over the United States and the world that are achieving at a higher level by doing that. I love that. I love that. I love that. So, so, so Karen, maybe we may need to come out with a, with a second book because I also, I also read a study and this was actually just yesterday that said in the 1980s, the average attention span of a human was 20 minutes. So imagine that. And then as of now, 2017, the article said that the average attention span of a human is nine seconds. Nine seconds. Wow, nine it's even less seconds. than five minutes. <laughs> so, so maybe wow. we need to come out with, with a nine-second book. <laughs> oh. no, no, but seriously, it, it's crazy because, you know, back then there were barely any distractions. There were only two or three TV channels. And, and And your distraction was maybe checking the mail once a day. But these days, you know, you have smartphones, you have instant messaging, you have social networks, you have all these things. And I, it's, it's crazy. I, I mean, I don't know how accurate that study is, but just imagine nine seconds is how long you have have to, to grab the attention of, of your audience. So maybe let's talk about who your audience is and, and who this book is really for, because, you know, at first glance, it may seem as though this book is only for real estate agents, but I, I feel as though you, you may feel differently and I feel differently. So, so maybe talk about who you think this book is for. Well, actually, the success in five minutes, the principles are very core principles to success in business and life. And I have a number of uh, folks that are, are in other professions that are reading it and they're finding that the applications are almost actually more insightful for them because then they can see it in another industry. They can go, oh, that's how that works and that application. And then they can make that, that transformation or, you know, transfer it to their profession and life. And the, uh, the core principles of the book are, will work for real estate agents or work for investors because as real estate investors or investors in any, any business or, or in any type of, of uh, commodity is understanding the key fundamentals. And so the key fundamentals to the book are commit to get leads, which we talked about until you have a lead, you don't have anything to do. <laughs> then, <laughs> then you, you have that lead and then you have to take that lead through a process. You either consult it to sell or you, convert it or you take it through a transaction. So there's always some sort of process that goes through. So uh, this works actually as well for, say, dentists. So a dentist needs a patient before a patient they have anything to do. They call it business development when they're going out to try to acquire patients or marketing. And then their they're, and transactional aspect of it is they either you know clean your teeth or they do the x-rays or the exam. And many people in many businesses get 
caught in what I call that transactional loop. They get a lead, they get something to do, and then they go do that, work with that client, and then... They forget about lead generation. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then they start back over and they get a lead and they get caught in this loop. So this is where Connect to Build and Grow comes in. So there's processes and systems and strategies for taking it to the next level where it's an ongoing sustainable business. And that will succeed even after you. I mean, that's how people sell businesses, right? Because they build something that can live beyond the founder, the entrepreneur, the the single owner. There's a book called E-Myth Mastery by Michael Gerber. And E as an entrepreneur. The myth of the entrepreneur is that you're a sole practitioner. You're really good at what you do. It, it's almost like a, a technician or a that you're good at your trade, a specialist. That's very good. Yes, a specialist. Well, so the business owner, though, needs to work not just in their business, but they need to work on their business. So they need to do the things that helps to connect and grow the business. And so that all comes together, but is surrounded by what I call success thinking activities and vision, because there's a mindset component to this to, to stay Achieving at a high level requires operating at a high level mentally, and that that is sometimes a challenge too. You know, when markets are shifting or transactions go bad, or you know, a client doesn't want to work with you or whatever, and so maintaining that positive outlook is is key. And then when all of that comes together, that's what I call the sweet spot. So when you achieve all of that, then that is the sweet spot. So. All of these are fundamentals that apply to cross industries and professions. Love it, love it, love it. Well, there you have it, listeners. These principles and the values taught in this book can be applied to to, to all professions and all industries and all all walks of life. So all entrepreneurs can can definitely benefit from this book. So I love that. Karen, do you maybe have one one or two success stories from from maybe readers of your book and, and, and maybe mentees uh, that, that kind of uh, came up from under you? And maybe you can share that with our audience. Well, I your title of your podcast, Before the Millions. So the idea of who wants to be a millionaire, <laughs> I'm like, well, who, who doesn't want to be a millionaire? <laughs> It's possible to achieve, and I want to share, and I really did appreciate what you shared in your Get Paid to Live for Free, because you you definitely touched on some of this. But the idea of being a millionaire is can be obtaining an asset worth a million dollars, but it can also be obtaining an asset that creates passive income equivalent to a million dollars. And in some ways, that can almost be better. And this is how to obtain an asset of a million dollars, you have to actually earn more than a million dollars. True. I mean, (laughs) to really end up with a million dollars, you need about a million and a quarter, maybe a million, three, four, depending on your tax structure to actually end up with a million dollars. So let's say we have a million dollars and then you earn what is a standard market earnings on a million dollars is, let's say, 5%, 6% over time. So that is the equivalent of $60,000 a year or 5000 a month. So if you had an asset that earned you $5,000 a month, cash flow, passive, passive income, then you actually own a million dollar asset. And that was a huge light bulb epiphany that went off on for me. And that's something that I think your listeners would really appreciate. And the people that I have gotten into investing have appreciated is the fact that the asset that earns you that is actually worth more. It's actually worth more. So you can be a millionaire who wants to be a millionaire. I mean, people, it is achievable. It really is achievable. and, And real estate is one of the great strategies to do that. Yep. Karen, I couldn't have said it any better. I love that. And I love the fact that you read the book. It, it, it speaks volumes. So I thank you for that. And that, that piece of information, I hope that the listeners are, are taking heed to that. You know, it's, it's so hard. You know, I, I get a lot of li- guests that come on the show and, you know, their initial goal, their initial goal is like, I want to, I want to, you know, I want to save a million dollars so that I know that if I earn 5% in whatever vehicle I put it in, you know, kind of what you alluded to, I'm able to get $60,000 a year. 
year. But but how realistic can you save a million dollars if you're if you're a, a regular to high age a high wage earner, you know, but if you're able to to invest or to acquire a million dollar asset, well, in real estate, it doesn't cost a million dollars to acquire a million dollar asset. And that's because of the power of leverage, you know, so we can acquire million dollar assets for in some cases, 3.5% down, in some cases, 5% down, in some cases, 25, 30% down, but you're never paying 100% for a million dollar asset. So I think that's a great highlight that you kind of touched on. And I hope our listeners are able to, uh, to come away with, with some value there. So Karen, kind of, kind of rounding out, this is, this has been amazing. And, and, and the value that you've provided has been, has been second to none. So, so before we, we kind of transition over to the last four questions, last round, I kind of want to talk about your book one last time and maybe, you know, kind of put it on a silver platter for us, you know, in summation, you know, what is your book about and how can it benefit us? Well, the the other beauty of the book is that it's in these bite-sized chunks and it's set up literally to be read one page a day or it takes less than five minutes. And the I call it the no guilt book. So, you know, so many people buy books and they, and they have the books on their shelf. They're like, oh, I don't ever get around to reading. I'm like, oh, well, all you have to do is read one page a day. And if you miss a few days, you know, it's no guilt. Just pick it up and and start start today because I like the epiphanies that I've experienced. It all starts with starting right? I mean, you make a decision and you start. And if, and if you do that, then you too can achieve a higher level of success in your business and life. The best real estate investing advice ever show is literally the only daily podcast that I subscribe to. And now I'm prescribing for you. The world's longest running daily real estate podcast. That's unprecedented. Visit joefearless.com slash show for the back catalog. Enjoy. You are listening to the Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions podcast. Karen, what is your favorite Before the Millions book? Well, we talked about it, and that is The Miracle Morning. If you win the morning, you will win the day. And studies have shown that 80% of successful entrepreneurs have morning routines. And the beauty of the morning routine that is in that Hal Elrod has set up in Miracle Morning is, is that it's been, he studied highly successful p- practices and people and has drilled it down to a very easily rememberable formula, and that is based on savers, S-A-V-E-R-S. So S is for silence or meditation. A is for affirmations. V is for visualization. E is for exercise. R is for reading. And the final S is for scribing or journaling to reflect on your life and and how you want to... uh, do to achieve what you want to accomplish in your life. And so I would say the Miracle Morning because of the impact that it's had on my life. And I know so many other people that have had as well. That's amazing, Karen. And and I, I, I can attest to the same thing. I read the Miracle Morning last summer, probably last August. So a year from today, I read the Miracle Morning. And walk us through in high level detail, walk us through your Miracle Morning and, and kind of break that down for us so we can maybe, maybe copycat that. <laughs> Oh, well, I, I follow the savers. I don't necessarily follow it. Well, I, I, I guess I do follow it somewhat in the, in the order, the, the silence first, and then affirmations, visualize what I want to accomplish and achieve. And then this is where I get a little out of order because I do exercise with my husband. So I do that after I have breakfast. So like I, then I read. I read for motivation and inspiration, the part that I read for improving and working on my business aspect. I actually segue that into the business day, but I I do have a reading component for that and for business development. And then journaling, I use the five-minute journal. It's an app and it has a few questions for the morning and then it has a few questions in the evening so that you can bookend your day. And then, like I said, I exercise with my husband after we have breakfast. So I, Hal, I think will also 
say that that you don't have to follow it in any particular order. The most important thing is is that you you have those components as part of your day. And if you have them in your morning, you will more likely win the morning. And then when you start out the morning well, then that usually leads to a really successful day. Yep, definitely, definitely. And I can again I can attest to that. It's 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 more powerful than we think. You know, my miracle morning lasts for about an hour and just running through it really quick. I, you know, I have that silence, that that prayer, that meditating for about ten minutes, and then, you know, for the for, for the next ten minutes I'm reading my Bible. And then for the next ten minutes I'm reading a book of my leisure. So whatever book I'm reading that week is is kind of what I'm I'm reading during during those ten minutes. And then the next five to ten minutes after that I do my affirmations and then I do my visualization. And I think the visualizations are really, really key because you're not visualizing any old thing. You're visualizing your exact actions throughout that day, what you're going to do, who you're going to talk to, what kind of interactions you're going to have, what kind of deals you're going to make. So you're you're literally, you know, you're kind of like setting the stage and it, it's so much more helpful than it sounds, but you're setting the stage to be successful because you, you, you've, you've actually visualized your day. So after visualization, I do my journaling and that's when I, and then at the end I do my exercise. So yeah, like you said, there's no particular order you have to do it in. But I definitely recommend for any listeners who, who need a, a morning routine or who need that kickstart, you know, definitely check out how Elrod's book, The Miracle Morning. Moving on. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Well, the biggest sacrifice are, <laughs> and it seems kind of ironic, but the biggest sacrifice has been to my limiting beliefs because they, in some ways they were a safety net or a safety device that my mind created thinking that it was going to keep me secure. And so I had to sacrifice them because in order to expand my opportunities in my life, I had to go into places I had never been before. So I had to believe that I could, could go there. And so I had to, I, I, he heard this example and it really resonated. So, you know, the electric fences that people have for their dogs yep. and they have the little collar and the electric fence, you know, keeps the dog safe in an area. But at the same time, it, the dog learns not to go beyond that because of the zap <laughs> and the intention is good. The intention is good, but at the long run, you know, that is not beneficial as a, as a person, because if you, you stay safe, you're not a, probably achieving it at what uh, the level that you could. And it requires some, it requires getting outside those comfort zones. And so my biggest sacrifice were were my limiting beliefs. The interesting thing is, is as I was able to, you know, to slay them, like the whole idea of the, you know, not enough money or time to write a book, then as opportunities became apparent and, and open to me, there are it, the limits have expanded, but they're still there. It's like it, it's a constant endeavor to push beyond them. So I have to constantly remind myself that, you know, okay, you know, I, I did this so I could do this, you know, and I'm like, okay, Karen, I, you, you, I could do it because I have proven that I could do it in this other area, but it, the alternative is to stay comfortable. And ultimately that's not, what I believe my purpose in life or most people's purpose in life to be is, is to do that. And I think that in the long run, it actually is counterproductive because the market in the world changes. So if, if I don't change, it's kind of back to the way Gretzky, I mean, the world will pass you by and you've seen that happen with people, I'm sure. Yep, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I, I can, I can definitely agree, Karen, this is a, it's funny because there was once upon a time in which I, I used to be limited by my limiting beliefs and, and kind of kind of when I, when, I, when I got over that, you know, it, there was this shift in which I was no longer limited by my limiting beliefs, but, you know, they almost provided me with, with a, <laughs> for lack of a better term, they, they almost provided me with like an adrenaline rush. I started going towards my limiting beliefs. I started, I started challenging those beliefs and, and questioning, why do you believe that? Or why do you think that's un unattainable? Why do you think you can't achieve that? And it almost became like a drug in a sense. And I, <laughs> again, <laughs> I don't know what else to compare it to. 
but it's like you know those limiting beliefs once you realize how how phony they are how how not real they are once you realize that you know you you have so much fun breaking those barriers you have so much fun just breaking those limiting beliefs so i love that i love that i love that go ahead you want to say something well no i agree and that has been i think the most positive, impactful aspect of it is because as I have slain these dragons, I'm like going, bring it on. You know, I mean, now I'm like, whereas before something like being on a podcast, I mean, believe it or not, I actually had a speech impediment when I was a child. And so I had, you know, this, I had to go to speech therapy and I had all of these you know, conceptions as a child that I, and here I am speaking in front of hundreds of people. And so it's, it really, truly, it's what the mind can conceive and believe can achieve. And, but there's, there's, I think that there's a lot of things in the world that hold us back too. But I often think that the biggest thing that holds us back is ourselves. Definitely. Definitely. Love it. Well, Karen, who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Well, in terms of my family, my husband has been a key cheerleader all along. I mean, he has always believed in me, and it's very empowering to feel that level of love and commitment by someone. And it's the, and I would say also that my business partner, Sue Huckabee, was the same way. And I remember early on, I was working with a, a four-star general. It was upper bracket transaction. It was the most you know, money I'd ever seen in my life. And, and she, she shared with him that he was working with the right person and that I would take good care of him. And I felt so inspired by her, by her belief in me. And I remember that when I'm either mentoring or coaching a new agent that, you know, that belief in somebody that, that inspiration that you can instill is really very powerful. So I now am, many times been given that opportunity, but I have people that still do that for me, but it, it was, those two people have been the most impactful in my life and business. Love it. Love it. Does your, does your husband, is he kind of in this realm or is he kind of on the outside looking in and he doesn't really understand what you're doing? Well, so he retired last year from, he was in the president CEO of a trade association for decades and active in Washington in the lobbying and public policy world. And so I was so busy. I was like, and this happens frequently that a woman who becomes successful in, in residential real estate and her husband will, will join the team and then take it to the next level. And it really has been extremely beneficial to have him as part of the team because uh, he he brings a whole aspect, you know, the operation side that is I'm very good at, I can do it, but it's not my highest and best use. My highest, best use is, is lead generation and negotiations and strategy. And so having somebody to oversee operations and, and client services has been very beneficial for the company, but it, it took a little getting used to in the beginning because, you know, we're, we had been accustomed to having separate business worlds, him having his, his world and I having mine. And now we're, we're operating it together. I love it. That's amazing. That's amazing. I'm glad he, he was able to provide that expertise and, you know, it's only probably built building your strong, your, your bond even stronger. So that, that's amazing. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? I think it's back to that limiting belief. I really do. I think that people see that edge and it's like the dog that, you know, thinks that the you know, they're going to get zapped. <laughs> and there there could be things that are legitimately holding people back. And so I'm, I'm not going to discount that if that is, in fact, someone's life. But I think that people are ca capable of considerably more and that they can achieve it, that they they if they set their intention to do so, you said every intention of doing so, I do believe in intention. So when you're talking about affirmation and visualization, so to affirm the intention of doing it and then to visualize how to do it and then to to set up a plan to achieve it. So the the basic fundamentals of believe that you can do it, conceive you can do it and achieve you can do it, you can do it. But that's what I think most people get stuck is it's in, it's in their own mind. 
I love that. I love that. And Karen, one more time for our listeners, what was that quote that you just famously said? If you if you believe you can achieve, can you, can you kind of finish out that quote again? <laughs> to believe and then conceive, to believe that you can do it, conceive how to do it, and then achieve it, put it into action. Love it, love it, love it. Well, there you have it, BTM listeners. And Karen, if the listeners want to get a hold of you, they want to get a hold of your book, they want to learn more about you and and, and kind of maybe even reach out to you and figure out how to become an agent or, or how to become successful in their entrepreneurial journey, where can they get a hold of you and your book? Well, very easy to obtain the book on Amazon. It's available in, in print and digital format. If you want to buy bulk purchases, then contact me on the website. And it's five, the number five, Minute Success. There's a Facebook group and a Facebook page. One of the beauties of the book, we're all reading the same page every day. It's it's like a, a daily devotional for real estate. And so many people go on the page or in the group and share their ahas. And together, everyone achieves so much more. So we would love to welcome the the conversation and the, the connection on Facebook. Well, there you have it. Go pick up Karen's book today. In summation, Hopefully you all have gained so much insight from, from Karen's life and, and how, how, she, how she studied the, the puck and how she continues to study the puck and she goes in the right direction. Thanks, Karen, for sharing your Before the Million story and guiding us through the real estate process, through the real estate agent process, through, through your book and, and being an inspiration to others. And hopefully we'll get you back on the show soon. That would be fantastic. Thanks for having me. All righty, Karen, take it easy. Love it, love it, love it. Well, guys, that's the end of our episode and we're glad that you stuck around all the way to the end look if you got some value from this show don't forget to leave a rating and review leave us a five-star rating and a five-star review if that's possible i don't know but leave us a rating and review guys it really really helps in the itunes rankings if you haven't if you're one of those stragglers and you haven't already submitted your itunes rating and review so that you'll be entered in the Before the Millions contest for Scott Trench's new book, Set for Life. Do that now, because on next week's episode, we will be announcing the winner. That's all I got, guys. See you guys next week.